The scripture reading for this morning comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is, to be, if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. This is the word of the Lord. You know, as I was studying that passage, one phrase stood out to me, and it's found in verse 2. You know, Paul tells Timothy, this young pastor who is pastoring this church in Ephesus in the first century, that there will be some that depart from the faith because, here's what he says, their consciences are seared. I mean, that is a powerful phrase. Their consciences are seared. And the verb to sear means to be branded with a hot iron. And maybe your translation even says that. To be branded with a hot iron or seared with a hot iron. And you know, I'm thinking, I'm preparing for the sermon, thinking I want to make this vivid to everybody so they can really hammer home this point. <clears throat> and so, first I thought about getting a volunteer and uh, branding them, but I figured that wouldn't go well. Insurance, things like that. But then I thought, you know what would be great? Is if I could find a branding iron. And bring it in here. And so I was thinking to myself, now who would have a branding iron? And honestly, the first person that came to my mind was Clay Bagby. I said, Clay Bagby might have a branding iron. I'm thinking, you know, Pioneer Plunge, all these things they do in Young Life. I'm thinking, hey, you never know. So I text Clay. I said, Clay, random question. Do you have a branding iron? And he says, actually I do. So... And so here it is, right here. I, mean, I got it, right here. I was like, first time, first shot, first person. I was like, this is great. And so he, he brought me this branding iron the other day. And uh, this is a unique type of branding iron. It's not very large, but here's what you do, supposedly. Okay, I've never, I haven't tried this out on anyone, so don't worry. But you heat up the end, obviously extremely hot. And then you, you, know, you press it down on something to leave the brand. Now, this brand conveniently has his initials on it. And so Clay told me that what you could do is you, could, you can grill steaks and then brand it with your initials. And I guess that's how you let everybody know this is my steak right here. You just brand that thing, and there it is right there. Uh, who knew? So this idea of, of branding, this is kind of a new phenomenon, I guess, branding your steaks. But... Uh, Branding has been around for thousands of years. You know, branding is a way to show ownership. Uh, probably the most popular form of branding we would think of is branding cattle, right? So you have a lot of cattle. You, you have a brand made up unique to you and showing that you're the owner. And you brand a cat, the cattle. You actually put a mark on them, burn a mark on them, so they can graze with other cows and then when it's time to separate them, you can just separate them based on their brand. You know whose they are. And so it's a sign of ownership. Uh, it can also be a sign of identity. Some guys, and I don't know if any of you have done this, if you were part of a fraternity in college, 
Sometimes guys get one of the letters of their fraternity branded on their bicep. I was actually in the store yesterday, and I saw this guy looking at uh, some dress clothes, and he had a big Omega Greek letter sign branded on his bicep. Some of you are like, I didn't know that. That is so strange. But they do. So you have this big Greek letter branded right there on, on your bicep. And what it's doing is showing you it's part of your identity. I am, I am uh, loyal to this group. I'm a part of this group, this fraternity. And so it can be a sign of ownership. It can be a sign of identity. Um, it also can be something that, uh, you, so you can have this external component, but you can also have a more internal component of branding. You know, the Greek word for to sear or to brand is also where we get our word uh, to cauterize. And cauterize is a medical practice or technique of burning a part of the body to remove or close part of it. Just kind of close it off. And so branding can have a kind of external and an internal component. And so Paul, with that idea in mind, this branding idea, this searing, he's telling Timothy that some people that call themselves Christians will depart from the faith because their conscience have been, have been seared with a hot iron. They've been branded. And Paul says that they have been branded by, and this is what he says, deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And so simply put, when you boil this down, I think what you see here is that you can either be branded by God or you can be branded by the devil. In other words, there are two ultimate sources for information regarding life. One is God and the other is the devil. One is true and one is false. One leads to eternal life. One leads to eternal death. And Paul tells this young pastor that there will be some that will be branded by the evil one. And now specifically in Timothy's context, this branding that he's talking about actually showed itself as a form of asceticism. And the word asceticism uh, in the Greek language, it simply means to train or to exercise or um, to practice. But this form that it took on in, first in, in, in the first century in Ephesus was called, uh, or, or a form of, dualistic Gnosticism. And that's a fancy term which basically means that they believed that the, there were some people in Ephesus that believed that the material world, the physical world, was evil. And the spiritual world was good. And so you wanted to avoid as much as possible the physical and uh, you, you didn't want to do anything even to uh, better your body necessarily because it's physical. What you saw, you saw your body as a kind of a form of prison that held your spirit. And ultimately you wanted to be released from the body. That was good. So the spirit was good. The physical, not good. And so Paul tells us what they began to teach in verse 3. He says they began to teach that, you know, they began to forbid, forbid marriage. And they began to require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And so like I said, they, they saw the material world, the body, as evil. And so anything that the body would enjoy, they would want to try to starve that. 
And so if you can have some type of pleasure or enjoyment in marriage, then you should just not get married. Or if you really love to, to you enjoy a good meal, food, well, you should try to restrict eating as much as possible or eat only things that were nasty, I guess. I don't know. Or just fast a lot. I guess there are a bunch of skinny people there. I don't know in Ephesus. But anyway, they were trying to kind of starve the body of, of pleasure uh, because they believed the body, the material world, was evil. And so this idea goes back to this, this concept that if I can refuse to please or satisfy or nurture the material body, then I will grow spiritually. So there's a sense in which if I, if I can put down the material, then I'll actually grow spiritually. So Paul's telling Timothy that this is a perversion of what God has actually taught. And so look with me at verse 4. He says, for everything, God created, or for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is, if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And so here's his logic. He says, if God is good, and He made the world, and He instituted marriage, and He gave us the ability to experience pleasure, then why do you think avoiding those good gifts will make you more holy? How can you believe that the material world is evil when it was in fact made by a good God? In Genesis 1.31 we read, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now we know that our actions have brought about a curse on creation, a brokenness that will be fully remedied by Jesus. However, this doesn't detract from the fact that what God has made is good if it is used according to His design. And that includes marriage as well as food. And I know some of you are thinking, Amen. I'm glad, I'm glad that's the case. Therefore, you know, marriage should not be condemned, but rather it should be celebrated. You know, food should not be seen as a necessary evil, but rather it's to be enjoyed because it is given by God. So as followers of Jesus, what Paul's saying is that we should receive all of God's gifts with thanksgiving. And you know, this may be one of the passages that has helped um, kind of prompt believers in Christ over the years to say a blessing before a meal. So you know, before you eat a meal, some of you may ask a blessing, say a blessing, ask God to bless the food, thank God for the food. Well, that's what Paul's saying here. So we should... Thank God for what He's given us, uh, including our meal. And we partake of it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And this is why Paul says what he says in verses 4 and 5. He says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And so what this tells us is that everything is an act of worship. Everything is an act of worship. All of life is an act of worship. Whether we're sitting for a meal, whether we're getting married, or working, or sleeping, or reading the Bible, or praying, or resting, or recreating. I mean, everything we do is an act of worship. And so Paul is warning Timothy that, you know, that some people, even people within the church, 
have allowed themselves to be branded by the evil one. They've allowed themselves to uh, be convinced of something other than what God has said. They've, they've perverted God's design. And you know, when you think of branding, even when we were talking about it earlier, um, branding, I don't know if any of us have, you know, like for example, if we have a dog at home that we branded the dog to make sure everybody knows it's our dog. You know, we've kind of moved away from that in some areas. But uh, branding now is, it tends to be more of a marketing term. And the idea of branding, the modern idea of branding, um, is that you want your product or your service to be associated with a certain logo or name. So that when you see that logo or that name, you want, to, you want the consumer to automatically associate that logo with your company, your services, your product. And so what I want to do this morning, just for a few moments here, I want to show you a few logos. And I want you to tell me uh, what you believe is associated with this logo, okay? Let's see. All right, here's the, here's the first one. Chevrolet. And so you associate automobiles, right, with Chevrolet. Okay, very good. Starbucks coffee. Okay. Nike. Athletic equipment. Facebook. Guys, some of you, this is Facebook. This is a social media outlet. Uh, you're like, I've never seen that logo before. That's okay. I was hoping to gather enough logos where everybody could see one and say, yes, I know what that means. And so these companies have done a great job with branding. All you have to do is see the symbol, the logo, and you automatically know what companies associated with that symbol, what they offer. You may even have some, some specific things in mind uh, of what they produce. And maybe you're even wearing some of them even this morning. And so these companies have done a good job of branding. However, Paul, what he's doing here in the letter to Timothy, he's writing the letter because you know what? Branding sometimes is not very clear. These companies have done a great job, but Paul is saying, you know, sometimes branding is, is harder to figure out. It's not as clear. In other words, what you may think is one thing may actually be another and this is why Paul says at the beginning of verse 2 that this false teaching comes through the insincerity of liars. It, the insincerity of liars. In other words, he's saying, guess what, Timothy? This is not going to be obvious. These teachers that are departing from the faith aren't going to stand up in front of everybody and say, let me have your attention, please. I just want you to be aware that I'm departing from the faith, and the reason I'm doing so is because my conscience is seared. And so what I'd like to do now is I would like to pervert what God says in His Word, and I would like you all to follow me in that. You know, if, if it was that blatant, Paul wouldn't have to write a letter. Timothy would say, oh yeah, I see it. You know, Paul's saying, hey, you got to watch out because some things aren't as clear it's more subtle than that. Because you have a mixture, you may have some truth mixed in with 
some error. And it may sound good on the front end. And so I want, I want you to look at one of these logos again. Yeah, you're like, whoa. When I first saw that, I thought that was a Starbucks logo. But it's actually a Sunbucks logo, <laughs> which, is, which is actually a knockoff company in China. You know, and it looks a lot like Starbucks. And so if you were just perusing the aisle at the store, trying to rush, rush in and get a bag of coffee, and you saw this logo, you might grab it thinking, I just bought a bag of Starbucks coffee. And then upon closer inspection, you realize, Sunbucks, that is not the same. Subtle. And that's what Paul's saying. It, this is subtle. This happens subtly in your own life. And also in the life of the church. Remember, there are only two ultimate sources of information as it relates to life. One is God and the other is the devil. One leads to eternal life. One leads to eternal death. One leads to what Jesus calls the full and meaningful life, both now and forever. And the other leads to a perversion of that life. And so the only way for you and me to guard our consciences... And to know God in His Word. Or the only way to to guard our consciences is to know God in His Word. That's how we guard our consciences from being seared and and being led astray. And the only way that we're able to guard ourselves against the counterfeit, counterfeit one is for us to know the real one. That's why upon closer inspection you could tell that's not a Starbucks logo. That's something different even though it looks very similar. We need to know the real one. So, here's my question for you this morning. Whose brand do you want on your life? Whose brand do you want on your life? When people look at you, can they tell whose you are? You know, our behavior overflows from our beliefs. And if we believe that God is good, And that through faith in Jesus Christ, His Son, that we've been forgiven and we've been set free to live a life in loving obedience to God, then our lives should begin to reflect that belief. And so my question is, does your life reflect that belief? Well, if you're like me, you're probably thinking, well, Ron, not always. I want it to but it doesn't always accurately reflect what I believe. And here's my follow-up question to that, and that is, when you become aware of when your life doesn't reflect what you believe, what do you do? The mark of the Christian is that we repent, which means that we acknowledge our sin. That we agree with God that what we did was wrong and that it did not align with His Word and what He said. We ask God to cleanse us from our sin and that we want Him to change us so that when the opportunity arises again, we may make the right choice. You know, for the one whose conscience 
is seared, it becomes harder and harder to repent. One scholar said it this way. He said, Grieving the Holy Spirit has led to resisting Him. And resisting Him to quenching Him. And so I wonder, where are you with God this morning? Are you grieving the Holy Spirit in the way you live? And it is contrary to God's design. Are you resisting the Holy Spirit in that you're refusing to admit your sin and turn from it? Or are you quenching the Holy Spirit in that you have a hard time even seeing what you're doing as either being right or wrong? I want to show you one more logo. It's actually sitting over here on the organ. It's the cross. And the cross represents something that only God can do. And this is the beauty of the Gospel. That as long as there is breath in our lungs, there is an opportunity for change. As long as there is life in our bodies, there is an opportunity for change. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've come from, God is able to reach down and bring about forgiveness and change. But we have to want it. We have to want the forgiveness and change. We have to be willing to be honest about where we are. And we have to be willing to submit to God and His ways. So I don't know where you are with God this morning, but I want to encourage you to draw near to Him. And the Bible says that He will draw near to you. And be willing to base your life on His Word and not the other way around. Instead of basing His Word on your life, base your life on His Word. So whose brand will you wear? And are you going to be one that departs from Jesus? Or are you going to be one that becomes a disciple of Jesus? Let us pray. Father, that is the question that we all must answer. And I pray for each person here that our desire would be to become a follower, a disciple of Jesus. To experience your love and forgiveness. And to submit ourselves to your plan. Lord, thank you for this passage of Scripture that warns us of how easy it is to depart from the faith. Just to allow ideas from our culture and even our own ideas to become mixed in with Your truth and lead us astray. Lord, help us to uh, guard against having our consciences seared. Lord, help us to be teachable. Help us to be learners of Your Word. And Lord, help us to be honest about our sin. And be willing to repent when you bring it to our minds. So that we may be cleansed. That we may be strengthened. So when that opportunity comes around again. That we may make the choice that you would have us to make. Lord, thank you that you give us the strength to walk with you. Now that you've called us to yourself in Christ. That you are with us. And you empower us to walk with you day by day. And we're so grateful for that empowerment. And now we pray, Lord, that each person here would respond as you see fit, Lord, that you would draw them into a deeper walk with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.